I don't know how your week was this week, but, but mine was filled with sorrow. I, I began the week uh, by attending a funeral in Kitchener of a good friend of mine who suddenly was taken into the Lord's presence. We prayed for him last week. Pastor Kelvin prayed. We joined here together. Um, and I'm, I went to a funeral service that was just filled with sorrow and pain and grief. And you've been to these situations before where we just, the ways of the Lord sometimes mystify us. As simple as that. His ways are above our ways. As high as the heavens are above, so are His ways. And the week ended with a funeral service yesterday here at the church for another one of our beloved here who went home to be with the Lord. This past summer, of course, I conducted the funeral of the dearest man ever in my life. Thank you for your kindness and your love that you've expressed to us. And, um, to now be where many of you are or have been already, to to have the passing of a parent and, and, and know the, the deep pain of that, no matter what age you are, you know. My dad was going to be 91 in one month. Some people say, oh, well, your dad was 91. I mean, you know, whether, whether uh, someone is 19 or 91, if they are dear to you, it just means the older they are, the longer and more dear they really are to you. That's what it means. At least that's what I've now discovered. But we have great hope. We thank the Lord that, that we don't grieve like those who don't have hope because we know that those who are in Christ are with the Lord. We, we rejoice in that, but the pain of saying goodbye and separation is hard. And I can tell you that in all of those three situations that all the prayers that went up were different than how things resulted, than, than the end result. We all prayed for healing. Everybody, hundreds of prayers. So what, what do we do when we are thrust into the pain of life and the mystery of prayer? You know, throughout the summer, I received a relentless relentless reporting of sudden illnesses that come upon you and we will receive more or those you love the stories of crushed dreams you've prayed and prayed and prayed so how do you live a health how do you live healthy in a world that number one is a sinful fallen world and number two is engineered by a sovereign all-powerful God. Like getting your mind wrapped around those two and reconciling those two realities are the great perplexity of being a believer, of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how painful it is to watch nasty, disbelieving people who reject God seem to live blessed lives and enjoy good health and wealth while you have to pick up the aftermath of crushed dreams 
And you are loyal to the Lord. In our travels through the scriptures, we bump into a woman by the name of Hannah. Her womb is on lockdown from the Lord. That's what the scriptures tell us. She's childless. The Lord had closed her womb. While her nasty troublemaker sister wife, or whatever you call it in the Old Testament, has children, lots of them. Verse 4, the plural of uh, sons and daughters. So the nasty person is blessed. The loyal, faithful person is in agony. Isn't that the general story of our lives? You're not going to leave me out here twisting, are you, by myself, sitting on this stool all by myself? This is our lives, isn't it? So what to do in messy, disappointing times? And let me also draw some background information for you. And by the way, the text is 1 Samuel chapter 1, in case you don't know. But let me draw some, some extra information from this text with this woman, childless woman who loved the Lord with all of her heart, was bitter of soul and pain, in pain and hurting and desperate. And we find out that her church wasn't even any good. Her pastors were a sham. The word of the Lord, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, was rare during that time. It was right on the heels of the judges. Ruth is been snuck in in the midst of the text here, but really, the historically, Judges runs right into 1 Samuel. So when we leave Judges and it says everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, we move into this book called Samuel and this woman called Hannah. And one of the great mysteries of the Christian experience, I think we all agree, is, the, is our relationship with a sovereign God and prayer. What does it matter? He's in charge anyway. Why pray? What, what, how does prayer and a sovereign God even make sense? Especially a God who's purposed from the, before the foundation of the world, his good purposes. Listen, at its most basic and yet profound level, prayer is how humans get an audience with that God, with the king of the universe. Now think about that. Let your mind wrap itself around that for a few moments. It's, you, you don't go onto a waiting list like you do with physicians. You can call out and have an audience with that God right now, right where you are. While I'm preaching, you can talk to God if you want to. So, can I get an appointment with God? Yes, you absolutely can. That in itself is something pretty, pretty amazing that we can talk to God, the sovereign God, the powerful God, and, it's, and those who seem to model prayer best share similar characteristics of which Hannah is a great model. I want to draw three out for you this morning. Three characteristics of Hannah that I see in this text. There are more, but three in particular leap out at me. The people that God includes in his sovereign purposes, because that's what prayer really is. 
at its base, basic understanding, prayer is how a sovereign God includes us in the scripting of his sovereignty. Remember, God isn't locked into time. And if you reflect or ponder nothing else that I say to you this morning, please reflect on what I'm going to say to you right now. Samuel, by the way, I, I'm, I'm leaping ahead assuming that you've already read the text because you were studying for today, but maybe you haven't. And Hannah has a little boy named Samuel. I'm giving the story away, but there's a whole lot in the middle we're going to fill in. Listen, Samuel was God's idea long before it was, he was Hannah's heart cry. If you ponder and reflect upon that, it will radically transform your prayer life as we work our way through this and talk more about it. Don't miss this point. The birth of Samuel was not a surprise to God. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, I never thought about, you know, um, I, never, I never thought about giving Hannah a child. And Hannah's been praying and begging me for a child. Sure, I'll give her a child. Let's see, a uh, little name of Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. Oh, I got to find a job for Samuel. What could I possibly get for Samuel to do? Listen, Samuel was already purposed by God before the foundation of the universe. Samuel was not an accident. Samuel was not the result of Hannah changing God's mind to bring into this world a little boy named Samuel. There are no accident children. They're all on purpose. Every one of us is purposed to be here by God. So you may be sitting out there saying, now, I'm even more confused about prayer now, where it fits in. Well, that's the setup for the sermon. Otherwise, you, you just leave and go home. I have to create a reason for you to stay and listen. Aren't we perplexed about prayer? I am. And don't miss this. The flip side to all of this is this, that until the time was right for that child named Samuel, God was making Hannah into something special. You see, um, before the foundation of the universe, God had planned Samuel, but he had also planned a mother for Samuel. And this gives us an absolute insight into the making of a woman in a time of pain to be the right mother for one of the greatest prophets that's ever existed. So right now you may be in God's waiting room for a very critical assignment that you've been calling out to the Lord about for years and years waiting on the Lord and wondering what he's going to do and will he ever do this? The flip side of what you're asking for is that he would shape you to be ready for what he wants to give you. Prayer is fundamentally, there couldn't have been a better song pick, Jordan, than that second last song. In seeing God, in hearing from God, we become more and more shaped into God's likeness, Christ's likeness, 
that we might be ready to receive the very thing he wants to give us, but isn't ready to give us yet because we're not ready to receive it yet. So ponder all of that because that's really the punchline. I don't deliver the punchline often at the front end, but I'm so afraid I'll run out of time and you won't hear it. That's the Hannah story. Now, let's fill in the blanks. Let's fill in the story of this, okay? 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, Ramathiam, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. All of that to say, by the way, a guy from Bethlehem. <laughs> Basically, all of that geography and all of that heritage, which is really important, is to help us zero in once again in God's focus in the place of Bethlehem over and over again. It's quite amazing. David, Bethlehem. Jesus, Bethlehem. Not accidental. Samuel, Bethlehem. Okay, all of it tied in together. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. And Hannah was his first wife. How do we know that? Class? How do we know that? How can I say that so boldly to you? Come on, this is interactive. Why? Her name's mentioned first. Very, very good. Hannah's mentioned first. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Remember I said she had really bad pastors? I'll save what we're going to talk about next week for next week, but if you read ahead, you'll find out these guys were very, very bad pastors. They were becoming rich on the offerings of the people, fat on the offerings of the people, and were using the religious setting for womanizing. So as you're reading through this text, you're saying, can Hannah get a break? And the answer is no. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all, his son, all, her, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, who was the father of Hophni and Phinehas, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She, she committed a Nazarite vow to, her, to the son that she was asking for. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. 
Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've been pouring, uh, I've not been drinking wine or beer. I, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Why? Because thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And early in the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And when the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. In the days before we had mushy Gerber food for babies, weaning took a long time. And so babies generally weren't weaned until they were two or often three. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. She said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of God. What a powerful story this is. Listen, three characteristics. Let me very quickly talk, talk to you about them. Um, the first is this. They may be weathered by life but they choose to worship anyway. What caught my attention when I noted this text is a woman deeply grieved, deeply in pain, deeply disappointed because she didn't have something she had been repeatedly asking the Lord for, which was a child, and yet she came every year to worship. She came to the right ceremony. She came when she was asked to come. She came and worshiped God. Now the enemy, when, when our souls are hurting, when, when we're in pain, the enemy of our soul loves to pile on every willing dupe possible to weaken our hold on what we believe. And that's the grave danger of pain in our lives, of, 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 of desperate for something that you've called out to the Lord and you've not received the desperate reality is, will we or will we not hold on to what we believe? That God is who he is and he can help us. And the enemy wants us to quit. And he raises up all kinds of people around us who will aid and abet his ideas to, 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 to discourage us even more. Hannah has nothing but discouragement in her life. Every, every angle, every person becomes a discouragement to her. The pastors are a, a sham. The time and the setting was extreme spiritual sloppiness. Most people are doing what seemed right in their own eyes. And the word of the Lord was rare. She needed the word of the Lord. She needed to hear from the Lord. 
Make no mistake about it, though. This was the most crucial time in her life because it is in the time that she was in this this desperation of soul and calling out to the Lord that God was making something special of her. You know, we see this, this story as God bringing Samuel into the world. God was making a woman of faith who would be a mother for a person that would be a great prophet. Sure, Samuel's a great hero and the great prophet, but he had a great mother. I think this is the story of the making of a great mother, not dissimilar to the, to the, to the choice that God made to, 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 to uh, uh, shape Mary, a, a young virgin woman, to be the mother of our Savior. Every Israeli woman wanted to be mother of Messiah. It's the shaping of that person by God. You, you right now are in God's waiting room, perhaps, being shaped in a time of your life that is as desperate as it's ever been, but it's the most powerful time of preparation in your life for what God wants to birth in your life. Divinely orchestrated struggles throughout Scripture are a testing of our faith. Jesus' brother, James, brings that to our attention in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I'm not tracking with James when I read that. I'm not tracking one little bit. Are you crazy, James? Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. I'm not thinking like you right now, James. And I have to keep reading because this is what he says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God regularly puts you and I in a waiting room of despair desperation, bitterness of soul because he is testing us not because he doesn't know but that we might know whether or not we're the real thing. Will we stay worshipers of God or will we not no matter what? Does God matter above everything else or not? Test yourself, the Bible says, and see if you are of the faith So we have this situation. And year after year, Hannah goes off to church to offer her devotion to the Lord who she's loyal to. And attending church added visuals to her disappointment because it says in the text that her rival went to church too with all of her sons and daughters Full display her maternal success. Look at me and all my kids. Oh, Hannah, how sad for you. We come to church regularly, and Slicky Slickster is here at church. Seems like everything's always going well for him. He's happy and rejoicing. He's sitting on top of the world with his feet dangling. What's wrong with you? 
Why are you in despair? Why are you sad? Hannah, what Hannah didn't have was flaunted in her face at church. What God, what the God she was loyal to has intentionally shut out of her life. And, you know, to make matters worse, this is a time where um, the text shows us that in the sacrifice, um, Elkanah is giving portions of food to his family. Now, what we don't know right away, but is, is that in the Old Testament, there was a series of sacrifices, and the last of the sacrifice was a peace offering. After you'd presented the offerings for forgiveness and all of that kind of stuff, then the final offering, the peace offering, you and your family got to enjoy the barbecue because it was a celebration that you were now right with God, that you were in communion with God and with one another. And here is Panina, the rival wife, badgering Hannah during the consuming of the peace offering. The, the, the horror of this situation, and by the way, the peace offering is the equivalent of our Lord's table. When we gather at the Lord's table, we're really celebrating the peace offering, that we are, peace has now been made for us with God by Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate the peace offering, and um, uh, we've been forgiven, our sins are forgiven, we're set free by God, and we're enjoying this relationship with God in full communion with God, and the expected communion with one another. It's the, it would be the same as sitting at communion in between taking the the loaf and taking the, the cup if we were to get hostile with the person sitting in the pew beside us and start fighting with them. This is what Hannah was facing. Year after year, every single time at the peace offering. But she worshiped anyway. We're introduced here to a term to, rep- to characterize God, that it's the first time it ever shows up in the scriptures. And I don't think accidentally, obviously. It shows up in verse 3. We've never heard the Lord referred to yet in the scriptures as the Lord Almighty. It's brand new. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Yahweh, the great I Am. We know that. The covenant-keeping God, creator God, but we haven't heard about him being Yahweh Shabboeth yet. Yahweh Shabboeth, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of mighty armies, the ultimate statement of the power of God, the powerful God. Here in this place where a poor woman is calling out, just asking to be a mother, That's what women do. That's what they're able to do. She's simply asking the Lord to give her what is normal for for a woman against the backdrop of Yahweh Shabboeth, the God of all power. Why are you not answering me, Lord Almighty? Year after year, I've been praying And so she worships, because see, it's a watershed moment for all of us as we worship, or will we worship? 
We can either focus on what God can do or focus on what God isn't doing. And Hannah chose to focus on what God can do and she kept asking him because he is Lord Shabbat. So they may be weathered by life, but they choose to worship anyway. The second characteristic is this. They have confident hope that prayer matters. She kept praying. Now, you know, a lot of us would say, well, maybe, she, you know, maybe her husband will bring her hope. Elkanah, he's a good man. He's a godly man. He, he takes his family to worship, does the right things, goes and sacrifices. And so we're reading about him. We keep reading through the story and we encounter Elkanah having a conversation with his wife, Hannah. He's asking her why she's weeping. Why she's not eating. Why she's so downhearted. And then in a moment of ultimate male clumsy, he says to her, look at me. Aren't I better to you than ten sons? Ah, <laughs> oh, Hannah. And I notice that the text goes silent. Because they didn't want to tell us that that day Elkanah had two black eyes. One from Mr. Left, or Mr. Left, and one from Mr. Right. You know, you can tell Elkanah is just a normal guy who has no clue about women. And the, the part, of course, beyond this that we realize, and women will get this fully, is Elkanah although a godly man, had given up on Hannah a long time ago. He, had, he, he was responsible for increasing her distress in life by taking on a second wife. He, he had given up on waiting with her on the Lord and taken matters into his own hands, which we regularly discover throughout the scriptures, and we regularly are guilty of. Samuel was on the way, wasn't he? And he sent her a heartbreaking message. Not only do I notice, Hannah, that you're childless and it bothers me, but I'm going to replace you with another woman who will have the mother role in our family. You'd like to think that the closest people to you might be the best empathetically for you, but they regularly aren't. It says here he loved Hannah. You say, wait a second, it says in the text he loved Hannah. Gave her a double portion of food. Great. If you can't have kids, I'll make you fat. <laughs> I'm sure she was incredibly blessed by that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shalkana. You're so sensitive. Oh. <laughs> I 
You know, you can either become selfish, self-sufficient, and bitter, or you can throw yourself at the mercy of God and have hope in Him alone because people aren't going to help you. She went to her pastor and he thought she was drunk. Eli can't tell the difference between a spiritually vibrant woman and a drunk. These are not good times. It says that um, the rival irritated her and provoked her year after year. You know what, you know what Panina was doing. Panina was disappointed that she had kids, but she didn't have her husband's love. So what she was trying to do is make Hannah look bad in front of Elkanah, her husband, and the Lord. I'll bug her at church. I'll provoke her at church so that she'll fly off the handle. And God, it'll explain why she doesn't have any kids. Because that's the way we are, right? When people are in pain and prayer isn't being answered and they're suffering and struggling, what is our first reaction? We maybe won't say it out loud, but in our minds, the first thing that comes to our thinking is what? Oh, heaven's shut down, eh? Hmm. I wonder how you provoke the Lord. I wonder what sin is in your life. Hannah, surely there must be some sin in your life that that God has closed up your womb. And we think thoughts that are anything but helpful to one another. So what's the punchline here? Because we need to wrap this up. One day... When the time is right, Hannah stands up in church and says, this is it. I'm making a vow to the Lord. Wept much and prayed much, but now I'm simply asking that Yahweh Shabbaweth would look upon his servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. What has happened? Hannah's prayed this prayer many, many times. God was shaping a woman who would be open-hearted and open-handed about the dearest thing that mattered to her, a son. Regularly, it's not that our prayer is wrong. It's that our life is not ready for the prayer to be answered. We're not ready to be open-hearted and open-handed. So, it says in the scriptures, you have not because you ask not, in James. And when you ask... You ask incorrectly that you might use what you get for your selfish desires. God was looking for a mother 
for Samuel. And he found one who worshipped anyway, who hoped in the Lord, and who ultimately was asking according to the will of God. This is not a story of bribing God. The, the last thing I want you to leave and think, well, I, the re, what I have to do to get answered prayer now is I've got to promise God, I've got to bribe God and say I'll do something. No, that's not it. This was not a bribe. This was a promise. This was a promise. Lord God, this is who you find now. This is who I am now. She stood up that day and said, this is who I am I am ready for the assignment that you have for me. And the hardest thing that ever could be asked is for a mother to give up her three-year-old child to go and serve the Lord for all the days of his life. There are mothers and fathers here. We know this. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord. Our children don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. And regularly he is shaping us until we are ready to say, Oh God, be it unto me as you will. And when we pray in the will of God, when we seek the Lord and he shapes us, when we see him and he shapes us to seek what he wants, we are now ready for the answer that God has already fashioned. And so Samuel is born. And while everybody else is asking the, or is doing what seems right in their own eyes, they come and they ask Hannah, Hannah, how did you get this kid? And her answer is profound but wonderful. It's because, verse 20, I asked the Lord for him. That's it, simple as that, because I asked the Lord for him. Who are you going to call? Where are you going to go? Who's going to help you? Not the Ghostbusters. <laughs> because I asked the Lord for him. Hannah's prayer. And his name is Samuel which means the name is God. And by the way, when you look at Samuel, the name for all of your issues in life, faith, hope, dreams, the name is Yahweh, Shabboeth. Go to him. Worship him. Don't quit on him. God will help you and answer your prayer. Father, this morning we have taken a small look. It's a tiny time look at an amazing situation. And Hannah is us. And you are the same God today, yesterday, and forever. So, Lord, we learn. We learn that prayer is your way 
of writing us into your sovereignty. We learn that prayer is how you humble us because the proud don't get answers. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And oh God, in that grace, you shape us to be ready to receive what we're asking for. And when we ask according to the will of God, we know that you hear. And when you hear, we know that we have the answer that we ask. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hannah does really the unthinkable. She takes her little boy, he's three years old or so, and makes good on her promise because he belonged to the Lord and gives him and comes back once a year to visit him and makes him a new little coat. Can you imagine? We read further in the text by the time we get to chapter 2, verse 21, she has three sons and two daughters. You can never outgive God. She was ready. Beloved, I know, I know you. I know so many of you are in painful scenarios, situations. Maybe one just like this. Longing to be a mother. Or maybe a man longing to finally get that job that you've been out of work for a long time or whatever. And you're in the prayer waiting room. Maybe a child that is wayward. I don't, know, I don't know what your prayer room is. But I do know this, that prayer is almost like child labor. It is you labor in prayer because God is bringing new birth to you. you say, well, what about if I don't get the answer? I mean, Hannah's story turned out so well. She got Samuel. I prayed and I didn't get what... Prayer is where we submit ourselves to God for his refinement so that we will be ready for what he does give us. Because sometimes what we ask him for is not best. He takes and he reshapes it. I prayed and prayed and prayed for my friend to get well a week ago. And I couldn't understand that there could possibly be any other reason or logic to why God wouldn't answer that prayer. He did answer my prayer. He made my friend 100% forever well in his presence. And I can tell you, I would trade places with my friend in a millisecond. because our God is worth it. He shapes our faith, builds our hope, and fashions our ask so that it will be according to his purposes and we are changed in the process. That's what happened to Hannah. Our Father, this morning as we bow our heads, I, 
I wonder, if you're out there this morning in pain in God's waiting room in prayer, would you just lift up your hand? We had so many in the last service. Just please lift up your hand because I, I, I'm sharing your burden. God, look at, this is not new to you, but we're praying like Hannah prayed. See us, remember us, oh God. Don't forget us. Don't forget what we've been praying for. Here we are to worship you because we believe you are the only one who can help us. Don't forget us today, oh God. Remember us. Build our faith. Shape our hope. Refine our ask, oh God, until we are open-hearted and open-handed servants of yours. Advancing your purposes to your glory, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.